So I've always been aware of being homeless, uh, being without a place to call home after I turned 16. So I was introduced to it about around about the age of 16. It became really to the forefront of my life. Rhonda Jackson is a 60-year-old mother of three and native of Queens, New York. She's been in homeless shelters up and down the East Coast from New York to Florida. At 16, Jackson had her first daughter while she was going through New York's public school system. I couldn't live where I had been living. You know, up until that time, I had to relocate to Brooklyn, and that was a very harsh culture shock for me. I almost quit high school and didn't get my diploma, but, you know, um, because I had supports in place that helped me to uh, finish my high school diploma. My struggle with homelessness actually came after my grandmother passed away. Jackson went to live with her grandmother in North Carolina shortly after the traumatic experience of 9-11. She says it caused her to have a mental breakdown. I was a station agent and my station was just underneath the World Trade Center, so it would have collapsed on me. And that morning, I just missed relieving the night clerk. So I had a mental breakdown and I just took the whole family and left New York City. And I was gone for about 10, 11 years. My grandmother passed away. I had to go into a shelter in North Carolina. Rhonda is only one out of 80 to 90,000 homeless New Yorkers in the metropolitan area, each with their own story. It's impossible to know the exact number of people struggling with homelessness because it presents itself in many different ways. Jackson, as well as many others, have been homeless without being in shelter. And it's not so much that I've been in a shelter, but I've just been without a place that I could call my own. And that's what many people fail to realize is that if your name is not on the lease, then you're homeless. You know, being on grandma's couch and a cousin's basement and things like that, that wasn't my home, you know, so that was my uh, struggle for quite some time. For those in shelter, Jackson says the system is not always helpful to find your next step, which causes people to feel more confused and isolated. So the biggest struggle being in shelter is finding out what am I supposed to do? Who Who is working with me to get me out of this? You know, I, I want to go to school. I want to go to work. And the housing specialist is not there. The case manager is like, oh, I can't see. You know, it's just it's a it's a lack of caring about the people that's in shelter that they're missing. The homelessness crisis in New York is multifaceted. It's not as simple as a person sleeping on the sidewalk or on a bench, even though that is what is commonly associated with the issue. As Rhonda explains, being homeless could mean sleeping on a friend's couch or in your car. It could mean living in a motel. This is what makes it impossible to determine how many people in the state are truly struggling with homelessness, because it's much more than we could account for. So why do so many New Yorkers struggle with homelessness? We always say that it's hardest for people who are earning <clears throat> the lowest incomes or people who are on fixed incomes to afford rent in New York City or elsewhere. Jacqueline Smone is a senior policy analyst at the Coalition for the Homeless, the oldest advocacy and service organization for the homeless in the nation. So to put that into context, in New York City, a renter would need to make about $35 per hour just to afford a modest one-bedroom apartment in New York City, or about $40 per hour to afford a two-bedroom apartment. Now, that's double 
actually more than double the $15 an hour minimum wage. So we actually have a significant number of people who are working, especially people working these essential frontline jobs who don't earn enough money to afford rent because of that huge gap between, between incomes and rents in New York City. There's a huge misconception that people who are homeless simply don't have jobs or don't try to be active in their communities. However, this is clearly not the case. In 2020, a nonprofit organization called The Human Impact estimated that 25% of the U.S. homeless population were working but simply couldn't afford to pay the rent. According to Simone, the need for affordable housing is essential to maintaining a livable, sustainable society for all. If people who are, you know, pouring your coffee or who are cleaning your building or doing any of these really essential jobs can't afford to live in the city and they leave, um, or if they lose their jobs because of the instability of homelessness, that also impacts everyone else, right? Having an economically diverse city is really important, but we need to make sure that people actually have truly affordable housing that they can live in um, in order for that city to succeed. Affordable housing in New York has been a perennial problem that never seems to get resolved. Agencies and programs for broadening affordable housing began to pop up in the early 1930s, yet it continues to be a conversation in our government today. The big problem is an inadequate supply of affordable housing. New York State Senator Brian Kavanaugh is the chair of the Housing Construction and Community Development Senate Committee. There are lots of people who struggle to pay the rent. Many, many renters are paying 30, 40, 50% of their income to cover their rent. And that is considered really problematic uh, by you know, advocates and analysts from across the country. Kavanaugh says the roots of the problem spread wide. The affordable housing crisis affects New York in a multitude of ways, which he discovered during his four years of work in the state Senate. We did some work on the housing committee with our Committee on Investigations and Government Operations on code enforcement and found that many localities don't have the ability to enforce the housing and building codes very effectively. So throughout the state, it's a crisis. And um, we see that in the difficulty that people have affording housing. Uh, we, have, we see it in the difficulty of uh, businesses and universities to recruit uh, workers and students. You know, if you can't move into a community affordably, you can't work there necessarily. Housing options for low-income individuals or households can be unsafe or not up to building code. However, with the severe lack of affordable housing, there is little to no other choice. Ian Wilder is the director of Long Island Housing Services, a nonprofit fair housing enforcement agency. He says that this lack of housing puts more pressure on New Yorkers that are struggling with homelessness. They're struggling to find housing that both meets their family or individual needs at a cost they can afford. It also increases uh, the danger in housing. We have so much housing that is uh, rentals that are not by permits, that are in basements and attics, which were not built people to live there. So there's also lack of safety. People are constantly on the edge with their income because the housing costs so much. So one crisis can put them over the edge and they can end up being homeless here. This housing crisis affects a person's ability to find a safe place to raise a family or to live in an area with well-paying jobs. No one understands this struggle more than black and brown communities on Long Island, where racial discrimination in housing is very apparent. Elaine Gross is the founder and president of Erase Racism, a regional nonprofit organization advocating for racial equity in housing. 
She says that Long Island has a lengthy history with racial discrimination in housing. Well, when Long Island changed from being basically rural and farms, it was developed to be racially segregated. So it was at the time when the federal government basically had a policy that said that all housing would be developed in a racially uh, segregated manner. And this is Levittown. Here you can own your own home, complete with its own refrigerator, television set, and clothes dryer. You can raise your children far from the city's dirt, crowding, and crime, in comfort and safety. So when the veterans were coming back from World War II, from the late 50s into the early 60s, the white veterans could move in, but not black veterans. That really set the stage for when Long Island was booming with new housing. It was really developed in a way that was racially segregated. Racial discrimination in housing continues today on Long Island. According to the New York State Senate, Long Island is one of the 10 most racially segregated metropolitan areas in the nation. As the director of Long Island Housing Services, Ian Wilder prioritizes educating the public on housing discrimination that continues today. We have uh, structures for building housing on Long Island that haven't changed from our Jim Crow past, which makes it very difficult to build affordable housing. We have home rule zoning, uh, which is part of that past, which allows municipalities to limit what kind of housing can come into their area. We need to change those structures because they uh, keep us from being able to build the housing that's badly needed on Long Island. The concept of home rule zoning on Long Island is a real issue. Zoning is what allows municipalities to control what land can be used for, such as setting restrictions on real estate. Article 9 of the New York State Constitution restricts the power of the state legislature when it comes to local or home rule zoning. They created maps, color-coded maps, that identified what racial groups were living in which areas. Elaine Gross says home rule zoning allowed for maps that created racially segregated neighborhoods on Long Island. The people that they often hired to create those maps were realtors. And realtors had been discriminating for a long time. You know, they did that informally. Even the National Association of Realtors uh, had policy that it was uh, unethical to mix people. Racially motivated zoning could restrict black and brown children from going to strong schools, people of color from being close to well-paying jobs, and families from being in areas with affordable and well-maintained housing. Although it became illegal to discriminate in housing based on race, color, or nationality in 1968 under the Fair Housing Act, Gross argues that the damage was already done. It was pretty embedded <laughs> that you only have white people living in neighborhoods with white people, and if you're dealing with, you know, with black people, you're only putting them into communities with black people. And uh, the real estate industry, the banking industry, the, the housing developers, you know, like Mr. Levitt, everyone was uh, on board with that policy. 
And it's clearly not a thing of the past. Gross points to Long Island Divided, a three-year undercover investigation into housing conducted by Newsday and published in 2019. Newsday found that the black testers, they were shown homes to purchase in different communities uh, overall than the white testers. For Newsday, they were also, sometimes they were told they had different requirements. So they might say, oh, you have to have your mortgage guarantee or whatever it's called in hand before I give you listings and before I take you out to show you homes. And then for white tester, they asked about the mortgage guarantee, but then when the white tester says, no, I don't have it, they just showed the listings and took them out anyway. So, you know, that kind of disparate treatment, uh, it, it has always been done by realtors How is it possible that this racial discrimination continues on Long Island despite laws in place to eliminate it? According to Ian Wilder, it takes more than laws to reprimand decades of mistreatment to these communities. We've passed laws, but laws don't change structures. They give people rights if they can enforce them, but we need to dismantle the structures. Wilder suggests Long Island should take down cultural symbols of housing discrimination, to signal to people that change is being made. We can have a discussion whether Levittown should be, the name should be changed back to what the area was once called because Levitt basically built housing with racist causes. We should discuss whether we should have a statue of Robert Moses in Babylon Village, which is a village that is overwhelmingly white. When he uh, was known to build structures that were racist to keep people from being able to travel on the island and move out here. Racial discrimination in housing purposefully consolidates Long Island's minority population to areas of lower income. In 2020, Nassau County Office of Community Development revealed that Hempstead Village's population consists of 93.7% Black and Hispanic or Latino residents. Freeport Village is 72.5%. These two villages have some of the lowest median household incomes in the county. People of color are already locked into these low-income areas due to housing discrimination. This means they don't have access to higher-paying jobs and are more reliant on affordable housing. By mainly building affordable housing units in low-income areas, families and individuals reliant on that housing are forced to stay. Affordable housing in higher income areas would allow for more people of color to move into these towns. This would lessen the segregation and allow for more educational and financial opportunities. There has been a problem with getting black people into those units. As Elaine Gross says, there is still resistance to moving black people into higher income areas on Long Island. The town of Oyster Bay had some family and senior subsidized housing. They were only letting people who already lived there live in that housing. And in the town of Oyster Bay, at the time, there were like 3% black people and only 1% of the 3% were income eligible. Meanwhile, there were all these other black people who, (laughs) you know, might want to live in the town of Oyster Bay. That housing policy, even though on its face doesn't have anything to do with race, The impact of that policy does. As Gross says, income eligibility plays a big part in receiving affordable housing. This eligibility is often determined by AMI, or Area Median Income. This is the combined average income of the region. 
AMI determines what households qualify for subsidized rent and how much that rent will be. When affordable housing is mainly available in low-income areas, the AMI will be much lower. Rhonda Jackson says working individuals could easily go over the AMI and be at risk of losing their affordable housing. People come out of shelter and we get jobs or, you know, whatever. We begin to live a life and build a life. And then because you are now over the AMI, you lose your voucher, which puts people in a predicament, especially if whatever they're working with or whatever monies they're getting, assistance that they're getting is not enough to cover the rent. So the minute you actually make a little bit more money, they want to snatch the voucher, which puts you back in a situation where you may have to go to shelter. The instability of housing causes the risk of homelessness to loom over any change in income. The mass layoffs of COVID-19 brought this issue to the forefront of many lives. As a result of the major income loss, there have been attempts at government assistance. In 2021, Congress allocated around $46 billion towards emergency rental assistance. Based on population, New York State received $2.6 billion for assistance. Jacqueline Simone from the Coalition of the Homeless says this assistance was a step forward in government acknowledgement of the housing crisis. In the course of the pandemic, the federal government also allocated billions of dollars for emergency rental assistance. This is huge because it was a recognition that we needed to help people pay off their rent arrears instead of allowing them to become homeless. So that program, which is called ERAP, or the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, is being run by the State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. However, ERAP, along with other New York state government solutions, have been criticized for falling flat. ERAP requires applicants to meet all sorts of requirements, such as a certain percentage of the AMI. That does have a pretty cumbersome application process, and there were definitely some hiccups initially when the state first launched that program. It's great that Coalition for the Homeless has an eviction prevention program, but when you see the scale of the need, particularly during the pandemic, it's clear that we also need significant government resources. Advocates say these solutions are band-aids at best that were only implemented because of the amount of back rent accumulated during the COVID pandemic. ERAP allows households to receive 18 months of assistance. With some owing up to a year of back rent, these solutions seem more focused on the past rather than what the future of affordable housing looks like. We know we've had a mismatch between people's ability to pay for housing and the cost of housing for a long time. None of us are hunter-gatherers anymore. We need people around us to keep our society moving. We live in a gig economy where people are vastly underpaid to do their jobs, and those people need some place to live. We have the answers. Researchers have done the research. They've written books about it. You know, there are papers. We have journalists who are writing about it. Documentaries have been made about it. We know who's the answers. In December 2021, Governor Kathy Hochul announced that New York would be the first state to launch a homeowner assistance fund. This was approved by the U.S. Department of the Treasury and will provide $539 million in funding. It will assist homeowners vulnerable to eviction and displacement. This fund will not assist the homelessness population or build more affordable housing units. It is not a complete solution, but it is a step forward in limiting the homelessness or at-risk population. 
There is still so much to do for affordable housing in New York, but each small step forward takes us further into the right direction.